Good morning, Eastside. Today I will be reading from Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Good job, that was perfect, thank you. Well, good morning to all here at Eastside. And good morning to those of you who are tuning in from wherever you're tuning in from. Welcome. We're thankful that you chose to join us today and hope that you were able to come by and meet us in person. There is something different about coming into a room full of people where we have the opportunity to see and interact with one another. And there's something special about this church. I've been with a lot of churches over the years. Everyone has a unique personality. So far, I like the personality of this one. All right, so come on in and meet some of our folks, and I think you'll have the same experience. We'd love to meet you as well. Thanks to Tim for that introduction today. It means a lot. The Schwams have been a blessing to our family, and he's exactly right. Uh, when we decided it was time for our family to start a new chapter of life, and we said, where would we move if we don't move because of a job that's taking us someplace? We said, well, one of the things that's super important to us is that we land someplace where we know there's a good church that we can plug in with. And because I've been here the last couple of years and spent some time with you guys and I've spent time with your staff and I've spent time with your elders and I've gotten to know many of you out in the hallways and between meetings, I knew that this would be a good church for our family. So what Tim said is absolutely right. We are here, we're starting a new chapter and it's so good to be back where we can go up in the mountains and we can hike and cheer for the Broncos, kind of. Uh, maybe next year we can cheer for the Broncos, uh, but all that just for me feels like as much as you can be home this side of heaven, it's good to be home. So thank you for welcoming us here. This passage today out of Philippians is where we want to begin. This is the Apostle Paul. All right, so think about this for just a minute. Paul, the Apostle, the one who was called by Jesus himself to go out and be his servant. Paul says of himself, I was called to be a herald and an apostle, and a teacher, and this is a man who traveled all around the world of his day as a missionary, a teacher, a church planter. He's responsible for a huge chunk of the text we have in our New Testament even today. Paul the Apostle. And when he writes this church in Philippi, notice what he says. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this, or that I've already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize 
for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul here in speaking with the church of Philippi describes, as far as I can tell, what is the life of a Christ follower. Here we have a snapshot of what it is to be a disciple, to recognize that our relationship with Jesus is one that has a clear beginning and a clear goal in mind. Here Paul uses the analogy of a race when he talks about pressing on to win this prize. Elsewhere we'll see him use this same analogy that for Paul, the Christ's life is one where you begin when you encounter Jesus and you don't finish that race until you're at home with him one day in heaven. There's a clear beginning point and there's a clear ending point and we have a goal in mind. So whether you're on this earth for a year or a hundred years, that point at which you know Jesus to the end in which you're called home in heaven, you and I together are in a race to cross that line, to claim that prize. This is the life of a Christ follower. This is discipleship. Now, I think it's important that we understand because analogies sometimes break down a little bit. While Paul describes here the Christian life as something like a race, we tend to think of races as competitive. It's a competition. The first one to cross the line gets the prize and so forth. We, we don't have the wrong idea of what Paul is saying here. All right? So maybe another way to think of the, the race that we're on as Christ followers would also be to think of this as a journey. We are all in the race together, and it's not about who finishes first and second and third. The goal is that we should all want one another to cross the line, right? We should all want each other to cross the line, right? Hey, there we go. Okay, I'm just making sure. They told me this was on earlier, so I just want to make sure. Okay, so it's not that we're competing to see who gets across the line first, But it's about helping one another who are on this journey together as his people that we all cross the line. We're pressing toward the, to the prize, to the end, to the finish line, that crown, that home in heaven. The life of a disciple is one that is a journey. So let's make sure we understand because this is a word we use in churches. We don't always use it around in other circles in our lives. That word disciple. If we go back to the Greek, the original text of the New Testament, and we look at the word that we translate as disciple today, what we find is a word that could be understood a few different ways. We say disciple, but synonyms for disciple could be something like a student. If I'm going to follow someone, in this case Jesus Christ, to be his disciple means I am to be his follower, his student, pupil, Or apprentice. I particularly like this word apprentice as it pertains to discipleship. A lot of times in our churches I think we we have this false assumption that the way to live our life is to know about Jesus. That as long as we can memorize a lot of text and regurgitate a lot of scripture back and forth to one another and we, we know all the details that we can pass the test in a Bible trivia game That because we know about Jesus, that's the same thing as knowing Jesus. Well, I think we need that first part. We should do everything we can to know about Jesus. I'm not sure that that's always the same thing as knowing Jesus. A disciple, one who's a pupil, student, follower, and apprentice. 
The goal of an apprentice is not just uh, simply to pass the test at the end of the day, but to have the kind of relationship with, with the master for whom they are uh, apprenticing. Is that the word? To engage in relationship so that they can walk alongside this person and learn what it is to do the job that they're training to do. To know Jesus really is to say, what would Jesus do? Like the old bracelets that you've seen worn around. What would Jesus do? Well, fortunately, we've got the Word of God, which tells us a lot about what Jesus did in his day. It gives us a lot of general principles in terms of how do we follow him. But this is a book that was written many, many years ago in a land very far away. And you'll notice if you read through here, we don't have a lot of specific instruction today for how Jesus would interact with social media. How would Jesus participate in a democratic election process? How does Jesus interact with his co-workers? What kind of teammate would he be at his high school? These are all things that are left for us to try to understand and interpret sometimes largely based on principles we find in the text. So when we ask that question, how do I become a follower, a student, and an apprentice of Jesus? When I ask the question, what would Jesus do? There are times in my life where it's been super helpful to me that as I'm trying to follow Jesus, I have other people in my life who model for me what I think Jesus may have done from one circumstance to the next. Has God given you people in your life that you can say, I'm trying to follow him. I'm not exactly sure what it looks like, but I think it looks a little bit like following them. I can follow them as they follow him, which is exactly what we find Paul saying in the text of the New Testament. There's a relationship between Paul and Timothy, Paul and Titus, the churches that they're left to serve in which we find three points of contact. In every case, the first and most important relationship we find is the relationship we have with Jesus Christ. This is our first point of contact. We need to know him, not just know about him, but strive to know him. So we are in the text and we're praying And we're worshiping, and we're serving, and we're asking every day, God, show me who you are. Jesus, lead me to know you more. But we need these other two points of contact in our life. Someone that's a little bit further on the road. Someone who's further along in this journey as we're running this race and pressing to the prize. Is there someone that's a little bit further ahead of us that has already gone over some terrain that we will find in our lives who might be able to show us how to do the same While we follow Jesus. I can follow them while they follow him and maybe have an even better understanding of what Jesus might do here and now in Colorado Springs 2023. Three points of contact. We follow Jesus, number one. We have others in our lives who we can follow and we can follow them as they follow him or at least I hope we do. That's point number two. Picture a Picture a three-legged stool, if this is helpful to you. Three-legged stool. We need all three legs intact and about the same length in order for the stool to be sturdy and to hold us up, right? You take away one of those legs or one of them's a little shorter or a little wobbly and the stool, it's just, it's not secure, it's not safe. One of those legs goes away and a three-legged stool can't stand with two. I believe, and this is my proposal for you this morning, all right, this is my proposal, I believe that if we are to live the Christ life, a life of discipleship to its fullest, 
Our desire should be to have these three points of contact. A relationship with Jesus Christ, a relationship with someone else who's a little further along that journey that can help me understand how to make this journey myself while I keep my eyes on Jesus Christ. And then probably someone behind me who I can also lead and teach and serve as an example for as they are also pressing to the prize, looking to the finish line. Three points of contact, like the three-legged stool. My proposal is to live the Christ-like life to the full is that we all need to have these three points of contact in our lives. Now briefly before I move forward, because, well, I am home, as was said before, right? When you think about what home is to you, part of my home is the churches of Christ. I've been raised in this movement for as long as I can remember. Churches up and down the front range in particular. All right? Uh, When we talk about discipleship in churches of Christ, disciple, the word itself, is a noun. Person, place, or thing, right? A disciple is a person. It's me. It's you. We are followers of Jesus. We are striving to be his apprentice. But there's also a way to take that word and turn it into a verb, Sometimes you may, have, you may have heard the word discipling, the act of helping make someone else into a healthier and more mature disciple, to be in that role of mentor and guide for the sake of someone else's spiritual development. Where I was raised, particularly in my younger years, those of you who are old school Church of Christ people, you know that even within our tribe at different times, there have been little movements that have come and gone that have used language about discipling. And that sometimes that's given us a bit of a black eye. That sometimes these principles have been taken to unhealthy extremes where we find disciples and disciplers, those further along in the journey, in which these disciplers are, uh, oh, I don't know, taking unhealthy approaches to the discipleship process, telling you who you can date or who you can marry or where you should work giving you quotas to meet about how many people you've got to share your faith with before we meet again next Friday? Because I'm going to ask, anybody else out there familiar with some of this? I feel like it was important to note because I know I'm talking to some Church of Christ people here and this is part of our heritage. I have wondered in my lifetime if one of the reasons we don't talk more about discipleship in Churches of Christ is because those of us who were there, those of us who were familiar with some of these things that happened back in the early 80s, I believe it was, uh, we saw some of the abuses that can come when I give my life over to someone who's to be my discipler. Sometimes that could be an unhealthy relationship. And rather than engage what healthy discipleship is, it's easier for us to just not talk about it at all. So I'll see you at church on Sunday. Hope you can go find a small group that you can be a part of. We're going to baptize you and send you on your way. Good luck with the Christ life. We need to have this conversation about three-legged stools and three points of contact and how important it is that each of us in this room not only keep our eyes on Jesus, but that we understand our place in that journey. Everyone in here today is somewhere at a different place in this journey. There's some people who are ahead of you, and we stand to learn from those people to grow as disciples in the disciple-making process. And believe it or not, wherever you are, I promise you, there's also some people behind you on that path that need your involvement in their life to help them grow in their own journey of discipleship. Three points of contact. Let me tell you how this worked for me. Let me make it just personal for a minute. So we all need someone ahead of us. The person ahead 
use whatever word you like. Maybe it's a mentor, it's a guide, a teacher, an exemplar. This is what Paul was for Timothy. And we're going to find that Paul leaves Timothy in Titus in in places where they're able to serve in churches and it becomes their job then to lead others into maturity in Christ. But there's got to be a Paul, someone ahead. For me, let me tell you about some of the people that were ahead who have helped me get to where I am in my life today. I'm thankful for my mom. My mom has taught me throughout my life that Jesus is number one in all things. All things. There's never been any question about that. For my mom, Jesus is number one in all things. She raised me to know the Lord. She involved me with the church. We did Bible study. We, we sang hymns. And before I went to bed at night, we stopped camping trips short so that we could get to church on a Sunday morning. All this in a home where my dad was not a Christian. So as you can imagine growing up in that environment, there were times where there, were, there was tension. It was awkward. Where my mom had to put her foot down and say, today is Sunday. That didn't always go over well. But I was raised to understand that we have priorities in life and that Jesus needs to be number one above anything else. I owe this to my mother. She helped me begin that journey. My grandmother, Dyer, uh, always had a Bible in concordance by her chair. Later on in life, when she got to where she couldn't get out and do the things she used to do, she'd sit and watch TV all day. But when between episodes or she turned off at different times, she always had a stack by her chair and it included a Bible and a Bible dictionary and a concordance. She taught ladies' classes for years. She worked with kids. She and my grandfather wrote a book on Revelation in the last few years of their life. It was like their life's work that they had studied and taught about Revelation Daniel all these years and that was going to be their legacy to leave behind. My grandmother Dyer showed me how important it was to get to know Jesus through study and to share him in teaching others. And I've always identified with Timothy because Paul comes along and he's further along in that race and he grabs Timothy and he says, I'm going to mentor and train you and bring you along in your own discipleship. But Timothy, long before you ever met me, remember the faith that was nurtured in you by your mother Eunice and your grandmother Lois. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, he even encourages Timothy saying, remember the scriptures that you have known from infancy. I identify with that a little bit. I've had my mom, my grandmother, I have them largely to thank for who I am today, particularly my faith in Jesus Christ. There was also my granddad, Dyer. My grandmother and granddad, Dyer. If you're ever up that way back when uh, my grandfather uh, retired at Lowry Air Force Base, was an elder in the church in Thornton, Colorado. He baptized me and my best friend when we were 12, 13 years old. Uh, but one of the things I'll forever remember about my granddad Dyer is walking into Safeway there in Thornton, Colorado. My granddad stood about this tall, not a very big guy, wore his cowboy hat. He'd walk into that store, and man, I had to move to keep up with him as a kid. And we walked through Safeway together because he went there almost every day. And it amazed me that you've got this little old man walking through Safeway, talking to a bunch of college-age and 20-somethings, and they know him and he knows them on a first-name basis. He brought joy everywhere he went. We walked through that store. How are you doing today? It's good to see you today. How is everything going today? Wow. Now, some of us are a little bit more extroverted, and that comes a little bit more easily. But what I saw in my grandfather was not just his love for the Lord, his service to the church, his teaching, but also I believe he just showed Jesus to people when he was in Safeway. 
King Supers, between the two, everybody in this room is in one or the other, probably once a week. What's our relationship look like with the people we encounter when we go to the grocery store here in Colorado Springs? I'm thankful for my father-in-law, Jim Hale. As I mentioned, I was raised in a home where my dad was not a Christian. He lived by Christian ethics, so it's not as though I lived in a pagan environment, all right? But when it came to things like prayer at the dinner table, I never had that modeled for me growing up. My mother and I were allowed to kind of meditate a silent prayer to ourselves. And growing up, that's all I ever see or experience. If you pray before your meal, it's a private matter that you think in your head the end. When I got to know Karen in college and eventually we got married and I got to know my father-in-law, when we would go and visit the Hale family there in northwest Arkansas, Jim would sit the family down, we would hold hands, and I finally had a father figure in my family who showed me how to do something that really should be kind of simple, I think, maybe depending upon where we are in that journey, to lead his family in prayer at the dinner table. Jim Hale showed me how to do that. I'm thankful for Clyde Antwine, who I met in college, Oklahoma Christian. Clyde, who dedicated his lifetime to missions over in Europe. But when he came home from Europe and began teaching at Oklahoma Christian, in addition to his teaching responsibilities, every summer he would take a group of students over to Europe and introduce us to foreign missions. For a month, we got to spend time in Germany and other places, working with local people, sharing our faith, opening our eyes to a larger world meeting people who had a passion to share their faith in their own context. And would you know that over the years of all those groups that Clyde took to Germany every summer, there are a variety of, of missionaries and ministers who have been nurtured and come out of all of that, some of whom are right there in the same part of Germany carrying on that work today. Clyde's to a point where he can't do that much longer, but there are people in Europe doing ministry now because they followed him as he followed him and the work continues on today we got to be a part of that and it blessed me I'm thankful for Dudley Chancy who's been a mentor of mine for years Dudley who's shown me a faith in the variety of ways that he's equipped other people for ministry he's been involved in missions both foreign and domestic there's any number of things I could tell you about the ways that Dudley has dedicated his life to the kingdom but one of the stories that stands out is that Dudley's told me before how every year after Christmas, he and his wife go door to door in their neighborhood, oftentimes with Bibles, just to get to know their neighbors, just to give them a Bible, let them know that we live in the house down the street, and if there's ever anything we can do for you, we're here to help. I've always struggled getting to know my neighbors. For whatever reason, that's been a hard thing for me. But I'm thankful to have a mentor who can show me what it's like to do that. That if we have that conversation, say, how do you get to know your neighbors? He can tell you, well, here's what I do, and maybe that's helpful to you. Eyes on Jesus. Following someone further down the road that's showing me how to do something I need to do, and maybe if it sticks, one day I can show somebody else how to do that too. Makes sense. Thankful for Dudley Chancy. For Bob Whidden, the first minister I worked with in Portland, Oregon years ago. I remember going with Bob as a, as a little youth minister. I'm 21, 22 years old. I've never done this job before. I don't know what this is like. There's parts of ministry they just can't train you for in college. So, boom, you're with the church. Go minister to people. What? People are hard. People are weird. People are born and they die. What am I supposed to do in those situations? This is, this is going to be a hard job. So you learn, It's a job that you learn on the job. And with Bob, 
What I learned was how to sit with people who were in the hospital, people who were at the end of their life. I still remember Bob sitting with an older lady who was shut in and she just had days to go and he listened to her. She said, I just want to go home. She had made it to the end. She could see that finish line and it was just right there within grasp. And I'm thinking, what do you say to somebody like this? I want to do youth ministry, hang out with teenagers, right? I, don't, I didn't get into ministry to sit by hospital beds and, and be there to provide pastoral care for people who were about to die at the end of their life. And I'll always remember Bob just saying to this lady, it sounds like you're ready to go home. That's okay. That's okay. Wow. Again, there's a difference between words on a page and being in a room with people and seeing this. What would Jesus do in this situation if you're sitting here with this woman today? Maybe it would look something like that. I learned something that day. Thankful for Bob Whitten for teaching me something about pastoral care, particularly in difficult places like hospitals. Bill and Beverly Van Horn, the first elder I had as a young youth minister and his wife, that really invested in my life and my family and made a lasting impact on me. I would meet Bill occasionally. We'd go to a place called Elmer's, which is like a Perkins or Denny's up in Portland. And we'd meet for breakfast. Bill always got two pancakes with extra syrup every time. We'd go to Wendy's occasionally. He'd get the biggest frosty they had. Bill had a sweet tooth just like I do. Bill invested in my life. He took time to be with me. Think about the people who've invested in your life. The strongest relationships are likely the people you have spent the most time with. When we're talking about these three points of contact, we need people that are ahead of us on the road who are going to invest the time with us to teach and model for us what the Christ life looks like. Bill passed away a few years ago. His wife, Beverly, is one of the sweetest people, one of my favorite people on the planet. She has shepherded my soul. When I have the opportunity to go to Portland, I always try to stay in the guest room with Beverly Van Horn. And she feeds me chicken and cake. And I love Beverly. And if you met Beverly, you'd love her too. Because she carries with her the spirit of Jesus. And there are some people we meet in this world that we say, I don't know what you've got, but I want some of it. And I hope that for somebody behind me on this journey... I can be for them what you are to me. Yes? You guys know what I'm talking about this morning? Yes? I'm thankful for Bill and Beverly Van Horn. Thankful for Randy Harris. I sought Randy out when I was a graduate student down at ACU. I said, Randy, I'm, a, I'm still a young man here. I'm, I'm being bombarded with ideas every day in my graduate courses that's, that's stretching my mind and stretching my faith. And I, I feel kind of discombobulated and confused. And I could really afford a mentor to process all this with. And Randy said, I'm available for that. But here's what we're going to do. We're not going to sit down where I teach and instruct you. What I can offer you is that I'm willing to sit with you. And I'm willing to listen to the Holy Spirit with you and for you. And if that's something that you would like, if that's a way I could serve you in your life, I'm happy to be a mentor. I still talk to Randy occasionally, even today. He's blessed me in so many ways over the years. And he's shown me that sometimes what we need in our life is just someone who will listen. Not just someone who will pray for us, but who will pray with us that together we can listen for the voice of God. I don't know about you. I didn't, I didn't understand that in my 20s or 30s. 
I only think I understand that a little bit now because someone further along in that journey modeled for me what that looked like. And now at 47, I look around and I think, gee, I wonder if I have a responsibility to do that for someone else. Three points of contact. Thankful for Tim Sensing, who was my graduate advisor at ACU. Tim, I knew mostly through academic advising and theological conversation and all those things you do in, a, in an office with somebody who's got tons of books and degrees all over the wall. That was Tim. But during those years, we, we had a, a pregnancy that had some problems. My wife ended up having to make an emergency trip to the hospital. And before I could even get to the hospital, my academic advisor from my school had made it there and met me in the waiting room. And it was one of those moments where I realized, yeah, we expect a minister to be there. If we're lucky, we serve in a church where even an elder will be there. But I didn't know that academic advisors also made hospital visits. Is that what that looks like? That's what Tim Sensing did for me and my family. At a time where we lived away from both of our families, we didn't know what to do and we were scared. And here's someone I knew from the classroom that showed me what it looked like to minister in a hospital, and I'm forever grateful for Tim. I'm thankful for Chap Clark, who I studied with at Fuller Seminary. More than anyone I've ever known in my life, Chap is a master teacher. We'd meet for eight-hour classes where we'd show up in the morning, and we'd sit down, and we'd open our laptops, and we're ready to go for the day, and Chap would walk in and say, hey, good morning, everybody. Let's get started. What are we going to learn today? And he would sit down without notes and teach us for eight hours. No notes. Never really encountered him with a, with a question in the classroom that he couldn't address or find the answer to before we came back from the break. Wow, that's incredible. Paul refers to himself as, among other things, a teacher. I kind of believe that all of us are teachers in one capacity or another. And as disciples, that everybody in here has a responsibility to do some kind of teaching. I think that's for all of us. Some of us may be more gifted with that than others. And particularly for us, it's like, my goodness, we better polish this craft and learn how to do it well. Thankful for chat for showing me what that looked like. For Clyde Long, who still texts me occasionally, this was uh, the one, maybe meaningful and life-giving relationship that we were able to make in our short time in Pennsylvania, right before we came here. Clyde is the age of many of our elders, but I don't know that he's ever served in that capacity. What Clyde does do is that he prays for my family all the time by name, and he texts me scripture on my phone. Of all these people in my life that have blessed me so richly, Clyde's really the only one that I know who texts me scripture to remind me, this is the truth of God's word, this is how it applies to you, and I'm praying it over you today. And as I was writing this list of people down that have blessed my life, I had to include Clyde because I thought, man, here's a guy I hear from pretty regularly that texts me scripture. And I can't think of anybody in my life that's done that before. Of all the things I've just described, maybe the easiest thing for any of us to do requires a little thought and intentionality. Just time with the Lord. But I think everybody in this room is probably capable of doing something like that. Paul was ahead of Timothy. He had his eyes on Jesus. Paul brings Timothy up as his disciple to follow him. Keep your eyes on me as I keep my eyes on Jesus. Then he leaves Timothy to work with the church. 
And in this church, it's Timothy's responsibility to teach others and raise them up. Flip over a couple of pages, we find a similar dynamic with Titus. Paul leaves Titus in Crete to work with the church. And in this little letter we find in our New Testament, we see Paul giving Titus various instructions about who he is to be and how he's to serve this church. In almost the entirety of Titus chapter 2, what we find is Paul telling Titus, here's what I want you to do. Work with the older men so that they might be mature and capable because they also have responsibilities with the younger men in your church. Teach the older women to be this and that so that they can teach the younger women what it is like to follow Jesus and be a little further down that road and to be able to say, follow me as I follow him. My proposal to you today, there's three points of contact. As far as I can tell, this is straight up scripture. There's a biblical precedent here. Read Paul's letters. Look at those relationships with Timothy, with Titus, with his instructions to the Thessalonian church, his relationship with the church in Philippi. So I've given you my list. I would ask you today, who's on yours? Give you a dozen names of people in my life that at various times have said, come along. I've been over this terrain. I'm going to show you what it looks like to follow Jesus. I've been fortunate enough to have some people in my life who are truly following Jesus that I can say to you today, I can follow them as they show me what it looks like to follow him. Who's on your list? Who are your people? One of the things I'd like to encourage you to think about today is, uh, I, I think it's important at times that we honor the people who bless our lives. There might be some of us in here that need to make a phone call or send an email or stop by somebody's house at some point and just say, I've never really told you this before, but I'm forever thankful for you because you showed me how to do this thing over here. I'm forever blessed because you took me with you and helped me learn how to do this thing over here. For some of us, maybe this is an opportunity to say, you know what? Maybe it's time for you to let that person know how much they bless my life. Let them know that I am further down that road on my own journey now, at least in part because of this person and the role they played in my life. So if that's you and there's somebody you need to call, give them a call. Just tell them you love and you're thankful. Uh, Who's on your list? Who could be on your list? I've been fortunate to have all these people I can read off this list. I almost feel bad about that because I know not everybody in this room has a list that looks like mine. Uh, You may be in a place where you feel like you don't have a list. You mean 20, 40, 60, whatever. You're sitting there thinking, boy, I've just never had the benefit of a mentor. I want to be a disciple or I wouldn't be here this morning, but I haven't had the benefit of a disciple maker who's a little bit further along on the road, who's ever actually turned around and known me by name and said, come on, let me show you how to get over some of this terrain over here. Maybe I've never had that before. I want to encourage you that if that's true, it's not too late. I would hope that everybody in this room, if you don't have a mentor or someone you can look to, has at least thought about it enough to consider finding one. I'm relatively confident that there is someone in this room here today who could be that person for you.
I'm relatively confident of that. We tend to think of discipleship in terms of ages. I want to suggest to you today that on this spiritual journey, maybe we consider discipleship more in stages. It's not just that we who are younger look to those who are older. I've known young people who have much more spiritual maturity than some of their elders. I've known people that have been around Jesus from infancy that have got 30 years experience at age 30 who are having conversations with people in the foyer that didn't know about Jesus until they were 50 years old. Isn't it? It's weird in a sense, but beautiful in a way that God has designed the church to where we can look around the room here and everybody in here should be able to find at least someone else that you can have a conversation and say, there's this part of my life where I feel like I'm struggling on this journey. I'm pressing the prize and I don't know how to overcome this obstacle, but I think you've dealt with it before and maybe you could help me traverse the terrain. You see how you have two roles to play here with the three points of contact? Both mentor and guide to others, mentee and student and learner at various times. Each of us occupies these two roles simultaneously. I'm in the middle of all this, and there's people ahead of me, and there's people behind, and I'm trying to honor God as I follow Jesus, and part of that is saying, who can show me how to get there, and what's my responsibility to the person back here who's asking the same question? This feels like a simple sermon, right? Is this, this is a simple concept today. As I was writing down my notes, I thought, geez, I don't know if I can get a full sermon out of this or not. Duh. Right? We should have just titled this sermon, Duh. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> okay? But like so many things in life, even if, even if conceptually this makes sense, I would also get that there's plenty of people in here today who would say, maybe I have or haven't had a mentor may not have a mentee. I may feel like that there's a part of this path that I've traversed and maybe I do have something to offer and maybe I even feel called to try to help somebody else but I don't even know where to begin. Who needs me? What do they need? I'm open to having a conversation. I'd love to share with you my experience but how does that even work? What does that look like? Again, back to my experience growing up in Churches of Christ, this was a topic, for whatever reason, Felt like we avoided this one a little bit. We focused a little bit uh, heavily on let's meet in this room for an hour on Sunday. Let's have whatever call it, small talk we can have out in the foyer and the rest of it is just going to work itself out. And for some of us it did and for some of us it didn't. So can you identify a mentor in your life right now? Can you identify someone whose life you are making better? Someone that you've turned around and said, let me help you along. I kind of believe that's the responsibility of everybody in this room. That's not just me. That's not your paid staff. That's not just your elders. That's everybody that's in this room. So who's on your list? Who are your people? Who's up ahead? Who's following behind? Maybe you're at a stage in life where you need to be Paul to a Timothy. Maybe you're a Timothy who's desperately in need of a Paul. Maybe like Timothy, we need to be exhorted to set an example for people around us regardless of our age. Maybe like Timothy, we need to be exhorted to take whatever we know about Jesus and entrust it to other people who can then entrust it to other people, etc., etc., etc. 
But who are those people? Who's behind you in the journey? Who are you leading and mentoring? For those of us who are parents, number one on that list should be our children. And we mess up plenty in that. No perfect parents in this room. We mess up plenty. Again, we get handed a baby one day and they say good luck and they push us out of the hospital. Is that weird to anybody other than me? That was so weird. You're going to send me home with this thing and I have no idea what I'm doing and everybody just expects that we're going to figure it out. That's parenting. But don't you benefit from people who have done that before? I mean, again, duh. Isn't it helpful to have people who've raised their kids come along beside you and say, oh man, we've been through the, the twos and the threes. We know about diaper blowouts in the middle of Walmart because we had that too. Our kid puked all over the back seat of our car. I know how that feels. I met a lady the other day who's a mom, seven kids. I met her at Starbucks. She said, I just got to get away. I'm, I'm trying to go back to school. I'm here with my laptop. I got seven kids at home. No wonder you're hanging out at Starbucks. How do you get anything done with seven kids at home? But as a parent, I can commiserate a little bit because we've done some of that before. There are those of you in this room who have not just raised your own kids, but your grandkids, and you might be raising the kids of your grandkids for all I know. We desperately need you to show us what that looks like. Those of us who just found out we're pregnant, those of us with littles, those of us who are entering the teenage years and we don't have a clue and we're scared to death. Somebody come alongside and help us in this journey because you've been there before. Duh. How is something I'm not going to get into today? And I'm going to wind this down. Uh, I'm not going to talk about how to do this necessarily because I know that there's discussion guides prepared for you in life groups later and I think maybe this is a conversation that happens best offline but here's a couple of pointers if we're going to have relationships on this journey it starts out with having you ready for it relationships on this journey if there's a point one it's got to be right there I'm running this race I'm on this journey I'm on this path and I'm surrounded by other people do I even know who these people are who can I identify that's ahead of me on the journey? Who can I identify that's behind me on the journey? Do I even know who these people are? I've got to build relationships. In church, that's going to have to happen outside of these walls. Relationships in these walls tend to be pretty shallow and superficial. If that's all they ever are is relationships in these walls. I'm sorry. That's just the way it works. We need to do things in life together and sit down at table together and laugh and celebrate together and starts with relationships. We need to be available to one another. Whatever your stage in that journey is, you've got to have enough time in your life to say, I'm available. I'm available to meet with you so you can help me to get a little bit further down this road. I'm available for these others here who are in desperate need for someone to help them get a little bit further down the road. I need to know who you are and I need to be available to you. I need to bring you along with me. I had a youth minister years ago who said, if I can give you advice about doing youth ministry, it's this. Whatever you're doing out running around town doesn't matter. Just take some teenagers with you. That's it. Doesn't need to be some huge event or activity. Doesn't need to cost a lot of money. We don't need a calendar program. Just take them with you. Show them the way. And hopefully let them watch you be Jesus to the person that just cut you off in traffic. Maybe you shouldn't take them with you. <laughs> right? Uh, but we do life together. And if you think about those who are being truly discipled in life, we do this when we're learning how to become 
I don't know what, electricians, carpenters. You can only learn so much from a, from a guide or a classroom. At some point, you actually need to sit down and do the work together. And sometimes the work is simply life. Bring people with you. There also needs to be a mutual desire that we both say we want to do this together and we're committed to it. So important. Okay, I'm going to stop there because I think I've said more than I intended to. My wife's no longer looking at me, which tells me I've probably gone over. So thank you for being patient, those of you who have stuck it out anyway. Uh, my prayer for this sermon, and I'll go ahead and invite praise team or whoever's up next. My prayer for this sermon this whole time has simply been, uh, God, would you use this message for our church family at Eastside, that as a result of whatever comes out today, uh, that maybe some of us would be more intentional in seeking out someone who's ahead in that journey, who can be my second point of contact, who can help me further down the road. May this message help spur some of us on who are sitting over here to say, I need some help. Who can I look to that can help me on? And may I might be willing somewhere in the middle here to listen and to learn, but do what I need to, to lead and bring along that I might be part of those three points of contact, that it may glorify God, that it might bless this church, that it may deepen and broaden the kingdom to his glory. Amen. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the senior minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. Like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.